You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. All right, so we've been going through a series. Our Advent series is Light in the Darkness. And so this morning, the sermon is entitled, Do You See Him? Do you see him? There was a man named John Newton. He was a former slave trader and God got a hold of him. And story goes that, or he ended up becoming a pastor and and the story goes that at the end of his life on his deathbed, he said, my memory is nearly gone. And yet I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. He wrote in a famous hymn, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Do you see him? Let's pray before we continue. Father, help me in the proclaiming of your word, and may the light of Christ shine in the darkness. Help us, O Father, to see your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you surveyed this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, what you would see throughout is that along with encouraging the church in their faith, Paul also keeps addressing a conflict between him and a group of teachers, um, some people that are in clear opposition to him. And we don't know if they came up in the church or if they were uh, traveling evangelists, but Paul ends up in chapter 11 calling them false apostles. They have been sowing seeds of doubt in the Corinthian church. They've been sowing seeds of doubt about Paul and Paul's companions, the people that he ministered with. They've been questioning his authority. They've been pointing even to the suffering that Paul has been going through and and, and saying that it shows that he's not truly from God. They've been questioning his motives. They're implying that he's not sincere. They're implying that he's being deceptive. They even take shots at the gospel message that he preaches. They say that his message is veiled, maybe for lack of conversions or maybe for a a, a response that was different than what people were getting. They say that his message is veiled. And so the church at Corinth is hearing all of these things 
And so Paul, in our passage, is in the, in the middle of responding to some of these accusations while also trying to point the church to Christ. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This ministry that Paul speaks of is what he was writing about in the previous chapter in chapter 3, verse 6, when he wrote that God had made Paul to be a minister of a new covenant. Paul has been given this ministry. It was given to him by God's mercy. In fact, the new covenant is received completely through mercy. It is the gospel message of Christ and him crucified on our behalf. And because it is all God's mercy, not because of any strength in Paul, the apostle can say we do not lose heart. If God is sufficient, then he will be sufficient even in the midst of Paul's circumstances. The, the false teachers have been trying to point at the sufferings that Paul has gone through to discredit him, and yet Paul uses those things to show that he goes through them and God is still being merciful to him. Paul uses himself as an example to the Corinthian church, showing how every affliction, which would include the attacks on him, are a means of mercy. They are even comfort in God through Christ. That's why he started the letter in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He continues saying, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. In chapter 2, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, that, that not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Everything Paul has, including the ministry of the new covenant, everything he has has been all God's mercy. It has been all God's sufficient grace. And so no matter what he goes through, he won't lose heart. He won't lose hope. And for us, this life we live, this life can be crazy. This life can be painful. Affliction comes for all of us in one way or another. 
Life will hit you. It will catch you unexpected like a, a, a Mike Tyson uppercut. If there is one thing we're promised, it's that in one way or another, we're going to suffer. Sooner or later, there's going to be things in your life that you're going to have to wrestle with God with. And you might even end up like Jacob walking the rest of your life with a limp. We will suffer, but in the midst of it all, we can't forget that it's still God's mercy. And and because of that, because we know that it's his mercy, we don't lose hope. We know that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil and makes our cup overflow, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. Do you see him? Paul continues by responding to another allegation against him in verse 2 of our passage. He says that him and his companions have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. Paul and his team refuse to work in any corrupt or dishonest fashion. Their motivation is not suspect. They're not sly. They're not scheming for shameful gain, as he says some do in, in, in Titus 111. That's not the manner in which they do things. He even says in verse 5 of our passage, Paul says that, that, that they are the Corinthian servants. They are the Corinthians' servants. He isn't coming to be served, but he is coming as their servant. Paul models his ministry after Jesus who said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He continues in the passage saying, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Paul and his team, they're not trying to deceive anyone. They don't manipulate their hearers with their message, and they don't manipulate God's word. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul said, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And that's similar to what he's saying here, that that they don't tamper with God's word. They don't alter it. What do they do then? What do they do? 
And we see it in the middle of verse 2. Paul says, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That instead of messing with what God has said, instead of distorting his word, that Paul commends himself not by self-promotion, but by openly proclaiming the truth of God and doing so plainly, knowing that everything he does and everything he says is before God in the sight of God. Paul won't dilute or water down the message. Paul is not motivated by money. He is not motivated by human approval. He is not going to compromise the message for anyone or anything. Paul is preaching Christ clearly so that if they reject his message, they're not rejecting Paul, they're rejecting Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 5 that he doesn't proclaim himself, but he proclaims Christ and proclaims him as Lord. Notice Paul doesn't ask anyone to make Christ their Lord. He doesn't say, make Christ your Lord. Why? Because Christ is Lord. We don't proclaim Christ and ask people to make him Lord. We are making an announcement. We have been given a message that is not our own, and we proclaim that Christ is Lord you will either confess that Jesus is Lord in this life or you will confess that he is Lord when you stand before him. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't make Jesus the Lord of your life but you can acknowledge his lordship. You can acknowledge that he is Lord. You can live in light of his lordship. But, but telling you to make him Lord would be like me telling you to turn gravity off. You don't control the laws of gravity. There is gravity, and in the same way, Jesus is Lord. Gardner Taylor once said that, that Jesus was born contrary to the laws of birth and he died triumphant over the laws of death. Jesus is Lord. Do you see him? Acknowledge his lordship. It's not merely about professing the lordship of Christ. It's about 
living in light of the Lordship of Christ. It's not merely just having a relationship with Jesus. Listen, Satan has a relationship with Jesus. Judas had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, you will know them by their fruit, and that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In John 15, 10, Jesus says the one who obeys his commands is the one who shows his abiding in Jesus' love. And so, you will either submit to God and his word, or you will end up trying to be God over his word. In verse 3, it is implied that false teachers are accusing Paul of having a veiled gospel. But Paul says that, that the gospel message is only veiled to those who are perishing. In verse 4, it says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Before Christ, we were blind. Outside of Christ, you are blind. The Bible uses a variety of, of sensory language to, to describe the person who trusts in the Lord and the one who doesn't trust in the Lord, the one who believes in the Lord and the one who doesn't. And so in, in Jesus' ministry, ministry and teaching, you will sometimes hear him say as you read that, that he who has ears, let him hear. Meaning that though everyone in the crowd could hear him, the one who hears and trusts and obeys is the one who actually hears and believes. And so we see that with physical sight also. Physical sight is often used as a, a metaphor for spiritual sight. In Jesus' ministry, there were plenty of, ple plenty of people who were blind who Jesus healed. But it's interesting that many who were blind of physical sight God had given them spiritual sight even before they were healed physically. An example of this is, is blind Bartimaeus in the end of Mark 10 when he's on the side of the road and he is begging and he hears a crowd coming by and he hears that Jesus is in the crowd and he be begins to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are getting angry. They're saying, trying to tell him to be quiet. They're saying, yo, we don't have time for you. I'm sorry. But he knows that, that it's Jesus. He knows that this is Jesus, the, the promised Messiah. He's the promised son of David. And so he's not worried about pleasing people's preferred expectations of a blind beggar in that situation. He, he doesn't care because even though he is blind, he's seen the light of Jesus. He has seen who Jesus truly is. And so he continues to cry out. He, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stops, calls him forward. He talks with him. He heals him and tells the man, your faith has made you well. And the man follows Jesus. The irony is that many who were blind saw Jesus, and many who could physically see Jesus were blind to him. Do you see him? Do you see him? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 says, for I consider, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What blinds us? In verse four, verse four Paul says that what is causing people to be blind isn't the messenger and it's not the message. We see explicitly in this passage that, that unbelievers have been blinded by the God of this world or, or the God of this age. And, and we know from other passages that, that he is referring to Satan or the devil. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to, to Satan as the ruler of this world in John 12, John 14, and John 16. <clears throat> First John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In Ephesians 2.2, it gives this satanic description of how we once were, how we followed the prince of the power of the air and how this spirit is what is at work in unbelievers. And so in our naturalistic time where we believe that all that we see is all that there is, we can be formed by this view of the world that is devoid of any spiritual reality. A, a lot of other cultures and societies around the globe actually have a more biblical understanding of the spiritual world than we do here. We were blind, it says. What else blinds us? Our sin blinds us. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Adam's sinful nature has been passed down to all his descendants, to all humanity across the world. As Psalm 51, 5 says, we were conceived in sin. We were born in our sin. And I never thought I'd be quoting B.I.G., but he once said, born sinner, the opposite of a winner. A pastor once put it like this, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. 
We were dead in our sin, and though we loved our sin, we were blind to the true nature of it. We lived in the night. We lived in the darkness. Before Christ, we were perishing. We were blind. We had the wrath of God remaining on us, as John 3.36 says. We were by nature children of wrath, as Ephesians 2.3 says. And that can be hard to hear. Nobody wants to hear that we deserve wrath, or that we're lost outside of Christ, or that we're blind apart from Him. Nobody wants to, to think that in our sin, we are perishing, perishing, headed for eternal destruction in hell. In our current day and age, that's a, a hard truth. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Someone once said, hell is not separation from God, it is separation from God's grace. And in our current American context, we think we're owed God's grace. But, but if you deserve it, then it's not grace. You can't earn grace. And so we easily take God for granted. We presume on the riches of his grace and love, but no human being even is owed love. Charles Spurgeon once was preaching on the passage where it said, where God said, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And a woman came up to him after the service and, and said, I, I can't understand why God would say that he hated Esau. And, and Spurgeon replies saying, that, that's not my difficulty, madam. My, my trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. R.C. Sproul once said, the, the question isn't why is there only one way to God? The question is, why is there even one way? There is even one way because of what is referenced in verse 4 of our passage. The gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ. The minds of unbelievers have been blinded. We were blinded from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you see him? Some people talk about the gospel as if we were drowning in the ocean and we're kind of struggling to swim and we uh, are, are trying really hard and then Jesus comes and he's got this life preserver ring and he, he tosses it to us and then, you know, we hang on to it and, and then he pulls us in and, and then we're saved. But that, that's not how the gospel is the, the, the gospel says that we were dead in the bottom of the ocean. 
And, and Christ came down and he took us. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death we deserved, and, and he was raised from the dead, and then he takes us, he washes us, he forgives us, he cleans us, and he sets us with him in heavenly places. Do you see him? The gospel of the glory of Christ, Ephesians 2 Four through six says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We were blinded from the, seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Then we see in verse 6. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan wants to keep people from seeing that light, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the light of Christ. But when we proclaim Christ, the Father by the Spirit shines his light to illuminate eyes to see the glory of his Son. In the beginning, God by his word created light and all of creation. And by his word, he creates life into people dead in their sin and makes them into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And so just as the Lord spoke creation into existence and, and declared into the darkness, let there be light, and there was light, so God looks at the darkness of our hearts and the deadness of our souls, and he declared, let there be life, and there was life. Do you see him? The Father by the Spirit declared that light would shine into the darkness in the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God shines in our hearts. His sovereign power breaks through our blindness and our minds are illuminated to the knowledge of Christ and his gospel, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection and the reality of sin is unveiled to us and we see how we have rebelled against God and his ways and we see how Christ took our sin and took the consequences of our sin upon himself. 
we were blind to Christ, but we now see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's a, a light that cannot be dimmed. It's a light that cannot be turned off. It's a a light that cannot be extinguished. A a light that shines like the glory of a thousand suns. The light of Jesus Christ, the glorious one, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who is all glorious. He is almighty. He is all good. He is majestic in all his ways. In John 12, 46, Jesus proclaimed, saying, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Do you see him? When the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shone into our hearts. Eyes that were once blind began to see the goodness of Christ. Eyes that were once blind began to see the glory of Christ. Eyes that were once blind began to see the grace of Christ. Eyes that were once blind began to see the vile nature of our sin, the the wickedness of our hearts before God, the despair of life outside of Christ, the hopeless nature of chasing after the things of this world. Eyes that were once blind began to see that turning from ourselves and turning to Christ is the only hope in life and death. Do you see him? We were blind, but we now see the beauty of Christ. We were blind, but we now see the tender mercies of Christ. We were blind, but we now see the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ. We were blind, but we now see the gentleness and patience of Christ. We were blind, but we now see the joy and satisfaction of Christ. We were blind, but we now see the fullness of our debt that was paid on the cross. We were blind, but we now see that though our sins were many, his mercy is more. That his mercy outweighs all of our sin. His mercy is as sure as water is wet. His mercy is constant like a waterfall. His mercy is deeper than the ocean. His mercy covers our sin like the ocean would cover a grain of sand. Lamentations chapter 3 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We were blind to Christ, but we now see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you Do you see him? Brothers and sisters, if you want to know Jesus more, 
pray and read the scriptures. Someone once asked Spurgeon, what is more important, praying or reading the Bible? And he responded by saying, let me ask you what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Let us go to him in prayer and in the reading of his word. Thomas Watson once said that Christ went more willingly to the cross than we go to the throne of grace. The face of Jesus Christ is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God revealed throughout the scriptures. Jesus, the Son of God, is revealed perfectly in the Word of God. All the scriptures bear witness about him. In fact, he is revealed in the Word of God as the Word of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the nature of God, the very likeness of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so let us draw near to the throne of grace by reading and praying the scriptures, asking God in faith by the Spirit for the grace to behold wondrous things in his word, knowing that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the grace of the Spirit, as we behold the glory that is in the face of Jesus Christ throughout all of the Bible. In this dark and broken world where death and suffering are a daily reminder where the afflictions and sorrows of life can be an ever-present reality. Let us earnestly seek him, pray to him, meditating on his word, soaking in his mercy and receiving the unsearchable riches of his grace that by the spirit we would put daily, put on the new self in Christ, contemplating the goodness of Christ, studying the glories of the cross, delighting in all the works of God and constantly giving him thanks in all things, all while finding our joy and satisfaction in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light, is the light in the darkness. Do you See him. Would you pray with me? Father God, you have you have given us the light of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
this light of your glory is a treasure. This new covenant reality is a treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels, in these weak bodies of ours, in these weak lives of ours. We have this treasure to show that the surpassing power belongs to you, O God, and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And we're always carrying in the body, in our lives, the death of Jesus, oh, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies and in our lives. Would you make it so, oh Father, by your spirit, and in Jesus' precious name, I pray, amen and amen.